Namaste and uh, welcome, Susan. I have a very important guest, Susan Green, and I'll give you a little introduction to her. Uh, we have been friends for what, since the 90s? Long time. Long yes. time. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, she lives in Princeton, uh, is very deep into the worship and uh, of Devi, particularly Kali, written a lot about Kali, uh, has a yoga center. So she's into yoga, she's into Kirtan, uh, Sanskrit, uh, Kali, Devi worship and all many things like that. And so I've known her for a long time. Uh, I attended many of your events. And at one time, Infinity Foundation decided that the best way to get uh, Indian students at Rutgers University interested is to have somebody go and do Kirtan there and teach yoga there because this is back in the 90s when there weren't these things available very commonly. So one of the projects we did was with Susan to go and teach all that. And yes, you, you yeah. had some interesting experiences yes, yes, there yes, trying to... Yes. Because many of the Indian students were very alienated, alienated from their culture. Mm -hmm. So somebody had to actually bring them out. Mm -hmm. And we tried this experiment uh, offering snacks mm -hmm. versus not. <laughs> when you offer snacks, more of them come. Well, anyway, uh, the, reason, uh, the reason I invited Susan is because I'm doing this series on yoga and how many different people see different kinds of ways of looking at yoga in the United States. Some don't like it. Some like it in a certain way, in a very secular way, only for health, don't want spirituality and so on. So I want different voices. And uh, Susan has been very authentic, in my opinion, very authentic to the tradition. And I want to hear more about that. So uh, tell me what uh, are your current activities and then we'll talk, we'll, I'll ask some questions. My current activities in terms of teaching? Yes. So my main teaching right now continues to be my Monday night class. Okay. And that's a class that's devoted to meditation and chanting in a yogic tradition. Um, that's been going on in Princeton for 20 years. I think it's the longest running meditation and chanting class in the Princeton area. So do you still worship Devi like you used to? For me, it's more my own personal practice. Okay. My Monday night class tends to focus on whatever is inspiring me currently. And because now I'm so concerned about the political situation, it seemed like the Bhagavad Gita would be a very good text to read in class. So for 12 weeks now, we've been reading half a chapter a week of the Bhagavad Gita and contemplating the verses of the Gita and really reading them in the context of what's happening in the world right now. Excellent. Yeah. Now, I want to discuss um, my tradition mm -hmm. has some key elements which are non-negotiable. Mm -hmm. And I think I, based on knowing you and also reading what you're doing, you share those key non-negotiables mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I will list them. Mm -hmm. You may not give that package, that mm -hmm. ecosystem, mm -hmm. the term Hinduism, mm -hmm. but I do. Mm -hmm. But the name is not important. Mm -hmm. So to me, what's important is what, what does it consist of? Mm -hmm. what are the, mm -hmm. What's the content mm -hmm. rather than mm -hmm. how you name it? Mm -hmm. And people get into this name controversy mm -hmm. and I'm not interested in that. Mm -hmm. I give it a name for convenience. Mm -hmm. It's like you've made a recipe mm -hmm. and the recipe has a lot of integrity, certain ingredients, how they have to be done. Mm -hmm. And as long as people are really loyal to that recipe, it's not mm -hmm. less important what they mm -hmm. call it. Mm -hmm. But if they, if they violate the key ingredients, mm -hmm. that bothers you. Mm -hmm. So I'm more interested in the ingredients. Mm -hmm. So one of the, so let, let's go through them. One mm -hmm. of them is, uh, I've seen you have a lot of respect for Sanskrit sounds. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that the, even whether you know the meaning or not, the sound itself, the vibration itself has mm -hmm. a lot of effect. Mm -hmm. And you carry it out in your mantra practice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about that. How, how, why, why that's important to you, how you relate to Sanskrit particularly. Well, I think for me, I'm, I was trained as a pianist in Western music from the time I was six years old. So music and sound has always been very important to me. And I knew there was some kind of a connection between music and spirituality, but I didn't know what it was until I stumbled onto the yogic path in 1977 and discovered mantra. And when I discovered Sanskrit and mantra, it was like light blasted open inside of me. And I realized I found what I'd been searching for all those years before. So for me, 
yes, Sanskrit really is the mother of my understanding. And I think because I'm a musician, I'm very sensitive to sound and the effect that sound has on us. And so from the very beginning, I understood intuitively that Sanskrit was working on me and other people at a very, very deep level that was way deeper than the intellect. Yes. And um, that's... So yeah. uh, the sound of, of a, particular, a particular vibration mm-hmm. produces a certain effect in you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that's the root of a mantra. Y- yes. And, and again, because we, we, we experience ourselves as these physical beings, but we're actually made of vibration. And what I began to understand about the mantras is they actually retune us from the inside out. And I have always been, I mean, I am in awe of the Hindu tradition because in my opinion, it's the most elegant and sophisticated psychology that we have on the planet. And I think the deities as articulated in the Hindu system are the most accurate blueprints of our innate divine possibilities. And the mantras of the deities, therefore when we chant the deity mantras, we're actually imbibing, um, developing, deepening, feeding those divine potentials inside of ourselves. Those mantras are retuning our innate vibrational field to vibrate at the same intensity and depth as the actual deities. So, um, like in the in the theory of sound mm-hmm. in, in, in uh, Sanskrit, mm-hmm. there's four levels of mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. sound. Mm-hmm. There is the uh, vakari, which mm-hmm. is the external mm-hmm. sound, like mm-hmm. we're talking. Mm-hmm. And then in the mind, I'm thinking mm-hmm. of the sound. Mm-hmm. So that is madhyam. So I'm kind mm-hmm. of, I'm thinking of mm-hmm. our conversation, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. I'm thinking of a word. Mm-hmm. But then there is a preconceptual, mm-hmm. Pashyanti, mm-hmm. which is which is deeper than a sound that I'm conscious of inside. Mm-hmm. That's sort of a, a very subtle vibration. Mm-hmm. It hasn't quite manifested mm-hmm. as a sound mm-hmm. even in my mm-hmm. mind. Mm-hmm. And then there's para, which is mm-hmm. a transcendent. Mm-hmm. So the idea of a mantra is to take you from this external to mm-hmm. the very deep mm-hmm. transcendent mode. Yes. You agree with that? Absolutely. And you felt that? Absolutely. So, and that that teaching on the four levels of sound is just one of the many, I think, really brilliant contributions that the Hindu system has given to us. So this leads us to uh, an interesting point. The Sanskrit tradition asserts Mm -hmm. that these primordial sounds Mm -hmm. are Mm non-translatable. It is not a concept. Mm -hmm. So it is not like I can say that uh, Om, Mm -hmm. I can replace it Mm -hmm. with some conceptual idea. Mm You agree with that? Absolutely. Because it's the sound itself that is important. Well, yes. It's the, my understanding of Sanskrit is it's not a meaning-based language. It's Correct. an energy-based language, yes. which is what makes it so alive and so powerful. Right. So, so this leads me to the, to the concept I've called non-translatables. Mm-hmm. Sanskrit non-translatables ah, huh. means that certain words we shouldn't translate. We should mm-hmm. just use that yes. sound itself Absolutely. and make it part of the English language. Yes. So we should enrich the English language mm-hmm. with some Sanskrit sounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, in linguistics, it's called loan words, uh-huh. which means you take a word from another language, uh-huh. like English has many French words right. and stuff like that. Uh-huh. So there's no reason not to introduce and enrich English with Sanskrit right. sounds right. rather than translating them. Right, right, right. Yes. yes. That you agree with that? Absolutely. I love that idea. Yeah. So the, 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 the next area where I think there is resonance is you, you I, from your readings, you feel, you, you teach that Devi is supreme being, mm-hmm. the reality, mm-hmm. the idea of Shakti, mm-hmm. uh, and then the manifestation of these, this intelligence mm-hmm. inside us, mm-hmm. and the access to this intelligence mm-hmm. through form. Yes. So tell us about your, uh, your worship and your use of form, particularly Kali. Mm-hmm. Well, again, for me, <laughs> it's such a long journey. It started when I came onto the yoga path in 1977 when I met Baba Muktananda. And when I met Muktananda, it was like I'd come home. And Baba was a great worshiper of Devi, but he was a Shaivite. And the, the, the main mantra of our practice was on the Mashavaya, which was fine. Uh, I love that mantra to this day. 
But my, in those days, my focus was more on Shiva and the Guru. And it was only, I was a student, very, very serious, committed student of that tradition for 17 years. And then I had a very profound internal explosion into the goddess. And at that point, the presence of Kali came very alive inside of me, and I could no longer be in a guru yoga tradition. So have you written about that moment of that explosion when you had that Kali moment? I have not written about it. I am only now even feeling it's okay to talk about it publicly. Okay. It's, it's, one, of the, it's one of the very private, personal things that happened to me in my journey that I've never felt right to share with the world. But now it seems like it's time. So now... So is it something that just happened or kept happening or was it for several hours or how, how, what was it like? Well, it was the final moment in a nine-year process after I had a very profound visionary experience actually um, several years before this happened that took me on an inner journey that um, is very hard to talk about, but I am starting to write a book and I will tell the story in the book. And, but it, it ultimately was a nine-year process and at the end of that process, which re- re- in, required a lot of meditation, chanting, writing in my journal, art making and music, and at the end of that journey, Again, there was a very, very profound experience of a presence that I recognized immediately as Kali saying, it's time, go out into the world. Because as long as I've known Susan, which is since the 90s or yeah, something, yeah, yeah, yeah. you've been a Kali worshiper. Yes, yes, yes. And, and it's very remarkable that, yes. that, you're, that is the one constant. Con- yes. That is yes. very consistent yes. in your life, the worship of Kali. Yeah, because to me, Kali embodies truth, absolute truth. And to me, Kali embodies that which destroys um, that which dares to harm innocence and truth. And to me, that's a very profound and important deity. And the reason it's very impressive is that Kali is the most uh, misunderstood, right. the most controversial. <laughs> right, right, right. And when you say Kali, there's people who will say, well, okay, now this person is really very kind of off the top. Which know? is why I don't talk about it so okay. much. Yeah. So this is very interesting that you've, Privately, publicly, mm-hmm. been very Kali worshiper mm-hmm. for a very long time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's very interesting because mm-hmm. people usually at some point they become politically correct and they compromise and whatnot. So that's that's quite interesting. Now you also uh, teach shastras like the texts, the, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Gita mm-hmm. and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. Um, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. It's part of the this mm-hmm. ecosystem, mm-hmm. and you you believe in reincarnation. Karma and reincarnation. Do you believe in karma and reincarnation? Well, I certainly believe in karma. I think karma is indisputable. Reincarnation, I'm, I'm confused about reincarnation. It's hard for me. When I think about consciousness and I think about the state of most people's consciousness, I don't understand how it can stay together when it leaves the body and enter into another body completely intact. So my sense of reincarnation is more like maybe globs of our consciousness stay together and that's what enters into another body and becomes memory and karma for the next life. But, but I'm if it very doesn't confused about what reincarnation. Happens what happens to you when you die? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's open. It's open. Okay. It's an open question for me. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So maybe in your journey with Kali, that will be also unfolding. Yes, yes. What do you think of the idea of sacred geography, which means a particular place uh, where the divine is entangled. Mm-hmm. Could be a river, mm-hmm. could be a mountain, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. could some form, some tangible mm-hmm. matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, all matter, of course, is sacred and ultimately mm-hmm. manifestation of the divine. Mm-hmm. But certain places have a special entanglement. Yes. Uh, so what do you think of that? I agree, definitely. You, you, you can feel those absolutely. places. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Now, these are, so I've listed a few uh, ingredients of this ecosystem. Mm-hmm. I would listed uh, the idea of Sanskrit vibrations mm-hmm. as non-translatable, mm-hmm. the divine presence everywhere and mm-hmm. as everything, mm-hmm. manifested mm-hmm. manifestation of Devi, mm-hmm. uh, the for, form as a, a wonderful means of accessing that. Mm-hmm. 
the use of form, mm -hmm. uh, the idea of sacred geography, mm -hmm. the idea of using texts, some special mm -hmm. texts, mm -hmm. karma, mm -hmm. and reincarnation mm -hmm. is on, on hold for mm -hmm. you, but mm -hmm. for me it is there. Now this bundle of ideas mm -hmm. are unified. Mm -hmm. You cannot pick, choose and say, mm -hmm. okay, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, this bundle of ideas as an ecosystem is given the name Hinduism today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In the past it was given some other name. Mm -hmm. And some people belong to a tradition where they give it some other name also. Mm -hmm. That's fine, mm -hmm. but this is the package. Mm -hmm. Now tell me how does this, how do you deal with public perception which may not be friendly to this package, mm -hmm. may even be hostile, mm -hmm. like we mentioned Kali. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how do you deal, and things have changed in the last 25 years mm -hmm. since you started. Mm -hmm. In some ways, things have become closed. Some mm -hmm. ways, they become mm -hmm. more open. Mm -hmm. what, what do you say about the trend in American culture vis-a-vis -vis these ideas? Well, I mean, that's a great question, Rajiv. In some ways, I like what I see going on in American culture because I think there is more of an opening to these ideas, which maybe we could simply call spirituality. But it seems to me, especially, for instance, what we see now in the, in the Western yoga, it's been so corrupted by American capitalism that, and commercialism that I think it moves very far away from the ideas that we're talking about. And I personally, I have a problem with the commercialization of yoga in the West and the East by now, for that matter. I have a problem with the emphasis on appearance I have a problem with the emphasis on it becoming a kind of a, an in-club and the hip, cool people do it. It seems to me this is the antithesis of what yoga is really about. And I also have a problem with so many people who go and they take a Hatha yoga class and they see the benefits of the physical practice, but they you know, aggressively reject the spiritual depth and, and heritage and I, I have a problem with that too. I know some people think, well, it's better it's being introduced. It's better that at least it's being introduced to the masses. I'm, the jury's out for me on that. I'm not convinced that it's right to take such a small part of this extraordinary tradition and, and negate the rest. So I'm someone, you know, for reasons I can't quite understand, Buddhism seems to be more palatable to people in the West than Hinduism. And I, when I go into a yoga center and I see there's Buddhas everywhere, but there's no Hindu murtis, I, I have a kind of a reaction to that. It, it well, offends Buddhism, me. Buddhism it offends more, me. Yeah, but Buddhism, I'll come to that. Uh, the core ingredients we talked about mm -hmm. are exactly the things that traditional Judeo-Christianity rejects. Mm -hmm. So let's go through one, one by one. And I've, termed, I've coined the term poison pill. Mm -hmm. So poison pill is something which is poisonous to the body, mm -hmm. to the system that, that's going to ingest it. Mm -hmm. But you can put it inside a nice sweet, kind of a nice delicious thing. Mm -hmm. So it's attractive. Mm -hmm. And if you're not aware, if you're not, if you're not careful, mm -hmm. and you can't sniff it out, you take it. Mm -hmm. As it goes through your digestive system, the body is unable to break it down and make it small enough and... It, turn it into components that can be assimilated. Right. Yeah. So then it has to be excreted. Right. And sometimes if you can't even do that, it's too late. Right. Then it's going to sit there, it's toxic, it's dangerous, and it's, it's, it's poison. Right. So Sanskrit vibrations, mm -hmm. uh, the Western linguistic claim since the beginning of their encounter with Sanskrit mm -hmm. is that uh, it's a beautiful language, everything is great, blah, blah, blah as claimed. However, there is no such thing as a non-translatable sound. It's all an arbitrary human convention. Mm -hmm. So you could replace it with another sound. Mm -hmm. So you could take Om and you could call right. it right. something else. Right. So you could take any any mantra right. and replace it with something else right. because it's a convention. Right. So your and my idea that that is not so, this particular primordial sound has its own effect and right. can't be translated. Right is a poison pill yes. for that system. Yes. Second one, the idea that the Devi, the, the divine is, is the reality mm -hmm. and is everywhere and mm -hmm. pervades everything mm -hmm. 
and is accessible as deities with form mm -hmm. also violates this, these injunctions against mm -hmm. idolatry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So you must be facing that all the time, <laughs> that you are idolatrous and right. the, one of the Ten Commandments says this right. and that, right. and in Islam they're supposed to really right. do physical harm to you. Right. So that is anti, this is idolatry. Yes. So then this idea of sacred geography, mm -hmm. because Judaism doesn't believe that the divine has ever entered the world is always outside. Mm -hmm. Similarly in Islam, they're holy sites, but mm -hmm. they're not sacred sites. Mm -hmm. And this difference I've explained in one of my books, Indra's mm -hmm. Net, mm -hmm. the difference between a holy site and a sacred site. Mm -hmm. Because current divine presence mm -hmm. entangled is not that sacred mm -hmm. and that is not allowed. Mm -hmm. It can be holy because historically something may have happened. Mm -hmm. Only Christianity believes that God is, has entered the world, mm -hmm. but that only through Jesus Christ right. and not through any other deity. Right. right. So. This, these ideas, and especially when you add karma and reincarnation, they become like poison pills. Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is that whether you call it Hindu or not, your practice and your, your ideas comprise an integral unity, mm -hmm. a uni an ecosystem which mm -hmm. you don't want to compromise any mm -hmm. part of it, mm -hmm. uh, under whatever name. Mm -hmm. And each of these ingredients is a powerful poison pill against the Abrahamic system. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. Okay. So the reason you're interesting to me is that you persisted in this for mm. 30 years. More, yeah. Okay, or maybe more, but I've known you for that long. Right. So I want to understand your experience because uh -huh. it's different than my experience. Uh -huh. I can always say, you know, I'm, I'm Indian, this is what I believe right, in, right, and that's right, what it right, is. Right, right, right. But for you, it's not ancestral faith. Right. It's something that you have subscribed to. Yes. And, and therefore, it must have been a very powerful experience it was very powerful. that allows you to consistently maintain this in spite of it being a poison pill. Yes. So if you were to... If you were to really explain like we are now explaining, 99% uh -huh. of regular American mainstream would say Susan Vick is a poison pill. Right. It's true. I mean, she's walking around carrying all these poison pills. It's true. And she's feeding this pill and then she's feeding that pill. Yes. Is that true? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. So now, now we're talking about the real point of yeah, my yeah. discussion with uh -huh. you. How is that experience? How do you feel? What do people say? And how do you respond to it? Well, I think people don't attack me personally. I tend to travel in circles where people may not understand me and they may not agree with me, but they're not going to attack me. Although I must say, every time I have um, produced a new album, I'm always waiting for the, what is that expression, you know, the thing to fall and to start getting all kinds of horrible email or texts or whatever from people who are accusing me of all kinds of terrible things. But you mix with your with a group yeah. and that group is protecting you. Basically, yeah, I would say because I'm not touring now, I'm really not touring at all, but when I was, I would be touring to festivals or yoga centers. So, I don't encounter the kind of people who would attack me. But I'm always keenly aware that I am um, in the eyes of most people, a very strange enigma that they yes, don't you understand. Are. And honestly, you know, I sold my house two years ago, and there were Murtis in every room. And when the stager came to tell me what I needed to do, she said, well, you need to take all those statues down. And I insisted that we... It's a demonic house. Yes. And I insisted that we leave the statues at least in my studio. So she said, okay, that's fine. In your studio, it's okay. We can make a case for it. Well, wouldn't you know the people who bought the house said as soon as they came in and saw the Mortis, they knew that was their house. Cool. So it was a wonderful, 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 wonderful so story. So it worked out. That worked out. But the stager was very, very critical of all my Mortis. What price did you pay in your career? In other, words, in other words, I, uh, one of the things I've studied for a long time is, uh, and I'm writing books on it, is the U-turn theory. Mm -hmm. So U-turn theory applies to people who in your situation mm -hmm. would say, okay, out with this. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want this Kali and these Murtis mm -hmm. and all this stuff mm -hmm. because I'm paying a big price. My career could go much further. Mm -hmm. My book agent and my mm -hmm. record agent mm -hmm. and all these people are saying your fees will be 10x mm -hmm. if you get rid of all that. Right. Well, no. Most, 90% uh, yeah. of the people who entered this path like you did mm -hmm. took the U-turns. So tell me what are the pressures you face and what is the price you're paying and how do you resist it? Great question. Let me, let me backtrack a little bit. Let me start by saying, yeah, I was born into the Jewish tradition, although my parents were atheists. So 
I didn't have any kind of formal religious, re religious training growing up, but I certainly identified culturally as a Jew. And, um, but I never, there was never anything in Judaism that pulled me. And even when I was in college, I was always interested in Eastern religion. Eastern religion really spoke to me. I remember in my college introduction to philosophy, reading Nietzsche and reading Thus Spake Zarathustra. And there was something in the simplicity of that language that I realized years later was very reminiscent of the kind of language of, say, Bhagavad Gita. So I think even then, before I had a clue about the, the world's religions, something in me, if we want to talk about reincarnation, yes, something in me came in knowing, knowing something that I couldn't yet articulate at that point in my life. But that was really the beginning of my seeking. And, and I had, again, as I said, I'm trained as a pianist. I had a very profound experience at the piano when I was in my early 20s, and that was what really propelled me onto the spiritual path because I had to understand what happened. And this was 1972 or 73, so there was very little information in those days, but that was the beginning of my seeking, and that's what ultimately led me onto the spiritual path and ultimately led me to Muktananda and Siddha Yoga, where all my questions were so answered. So you're saying that the answer to why you, how you're able to resist lies in the, the grounding you got from the beginning. Well, I think... It was deep. It goes very, it very lasted. deep. And it lasted. And I think, as I was saying before, for me, at, my understanding now is if we speak of this goddess called Kali, what is that? It's the um, embodiment of truth. And this has been a guiding force for me. And... Much as I sometimes would like to throw the whole thing off and just go the commercial route and make a lot of money and be a big celebrity, I can't seem to do that. Everything in me pushes against that. I've been told so many times, you need to rebrand yourself. You need to speak in language that everybody can understand. You need to get rid of all the deity stuff. I can't do it. It's just not... It's not you. It's not me. Now I want to talk about... There's Hinduism, which mm -hmm. is all these ideas and mm -hmm. practices, mm -hmm. with an identity name mm -hmm. added as, to the package. Okay. Then there is something else called spiritual but not religious, mm -hmm. SBNR. You know, there's a huge movement. Yes. If you just search SBNR, you get millions of hits. These are people who have so many Hindu-like ideas, mm -hmm. like the ones we talked mm -hmm. about, but they don't want to call themselves anything. Right, right, right. They right. say we are spiritual but right. not right. religious. right. Now, I want to discuss the distinction between the two. You are grounded in personal experience. Mm -hmm. So you're not at risk without a scaffolding, without a fortress, mm -hmm. identity, without mm -hmm. an institution, right. some kind of a right. name. Right. Without that, mm -hmm. you are still protected mm -hmm. because your, your inner journey is so mm -hmm. deep. Mm -hmm. You're protected by Kali. Yes. So you have Kali inside. Yes. So you have Kali inside and therefore you don't need to call yourself anything because right. you're just fine. Exactly. Okay. However, your students might not be the same way grounded. Mm -hmm. So a lot of gurus I talk to, a lot of Indian Hindu gurus, mm -hmm. who are themselves grounded, mm -hmm. uh, go about teaching that you do not, you can be, all religions are the same, mm -hmm. it's all spirituality, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter, mm -hmm. so they are into that space. Mm -hmm. Now, while for them it's okay, mm -hmm. because they're grounded, mm -hmm. and therefore they're not vulnerable, mm -hmm. uh, some of their students are lost, mm -hmm. and the students do need a scaffolding. Mm -hmm. The students do need a sense of parameters, mm -hmm. boundaries, mm -hmm. to kind of incubate. Mm -hmm. They have to bake this idea for mm -hmm. a long time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what do you think of that, the, of the vulnerability of people who are new to this path, not mm -hmm. as grounded, mm -hmm. and going into spiritual but not religious mm -hmm. gives them a kind of an opportunity to do say anything goes mm -hmm. and they fall this way, that way. You know that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know a lot of people mm -hmm. go into all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, then they justify by saying it's spiritual but not religious. Right. And this happens with my spirituality. Right. What do you think of that? Right. Well, again, you know, these are very complicated questions. And again, I think that's a great question. I think it's very important to have one practice and stick with it for at least a decade. And I think in the early years, it's fine to search around and try different paths, try different teachers, try different traditions. But at a certain point, 
you've got to settle on one and stick with it for at least, at least a decade, more like two decades. And only then, it seems to me, is your understanding going to be baked enough to be able to have the kind of discernment one needs to navigate the complexities of, of the, an inner path. So what I, what I study as a U-turn mm-hmm. is people who are not long-term grounded. Mm-hmm. So they start in a Hindu-type context. Mm-hmm. They have a guru, they start in that context. Mm-hmm. Then they drift into decontextualizing. Mm-hmm. So that part is gone. Mm-hmm. The, the deity is gone, they won't have Kali. Mm-hmm. And then the real estate person comes and mm-hmm. says, remove all these murtis, they would remove it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll remove all this symbolism, mm-hmm. uh, they will not refer to the sacred texts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then they float in this kind of uh, spiritual but not religious, mm-hmm. you know, uh, flea market. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sort of a flea market mm-hmm. of all kind of things. Mm-hmm. And then they begin to experiment mm-hmm. without, the, exp- without the background, mm-hmm. without the rigor, mm-hmm. without the guidance, mm-hmm. without the coach. Mm-hmm. So they are into freewheeling experimentation Mm -hmm. and some of them get in trouble also. Mm -hmm. They would go off the deep end. Totally. And so then they, some of them will go commercial. Mm -hmm. Then the anchor that holds them Mm -hmm. is not Kali inside, but the dollar inside. Yes. And this idea of I can make a million million dollars. So now they're driven by the the agent and the commercial offers. Mm -hmm. So that becomes the the deity. Mm -hmm. The dollar becomes the deity. Mm So then they, some of them go off into recontextualizing into Judeo Christianity or mm-hmm. some other religion mm-hmm. because they feel that the pull of the ego back, mm-hmm. historical ego back into that mm-hmm. and the pressure from peers, mm-hmm. the pressure from parents mm-hmm. and family mm-hmm. and uh, various mm-hmm. peers mm-hmm. is very strong. Mm-hmm. And the price they are paying not being part of this established religious identity is too mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. So then they go back. Mm-hmm. And they go back, some of them go back into Judaism mm-hmm. or into Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them go back into sort of science. I'm into mm-hmm. science. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in any spirituality. Mm-hmm. I'm into, you know, health, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So this is what I call the U-turn. Mm-hmm. So uh, what do you think of uh, my, my, I, my suggestion to people who are sincere, mm-hmm. if they're not sincere, I have no, no suggestion. Mm-hmm. But if they're sincere, my suggestion is that you need to incorporate some of those poison pills into your practice. Mm-hmm. So, because then you're walking around, you're less vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Because if somebody wants you or pull you, you go with that package. Yes. So somebody wants you to have a million dollar tour, you'll say, yes, but I will have my Sanskrit, I will have mm-hmm. my Murti, I will mm-hmm. have my Kali. Mm-hmm. I, I, that, I cannot get rid of those because that's who I am. Mm-hmm. So now you're safe. Mm-hmm. Because if they want you, they want you as your true self. Yes. So what do you think of this idea that, that to, to invest yourself with these poison pills, uh, and I, I use this term because it's a, it's a term that works, you know, mm-hmm. it gets the point across mm-hmm. that it, it's, a, it's poison for people and for ideologies that don't want to accept all this. Mm-hmm. So they have to either accept it as is mm-hmm. or not accept it, mm-hmm. but they can't tamper with it. Mm-hmm. So what do you think of this? Oh, no, I agree with that. I think we have to remain authentic. If we're... If we are going to put ourselves out there as a spiritual teacher or as some kind of representative of a spiritual tradition, it seems to me that has to start with tremendous integrity and authenticity. And if we start hiding parts of ourselves that don't happen to fit with what the larger culture's perception, comfortable perceptions are, then I think we're at risk of dissociating from what we truly are. And that creates... That's why we see so many problems with so many fallen teachers, so many teachers who are preaching celibacy, but behind closed doors, they're engaging in all kinds of inappropriate sexual activity. I mean, that's just one tiny example. There's so much, I think we see so much abuse of power because people aren't being authentic and true to what they really are and are creating a facade that they offer to the world. And then people, it's very dangerous. And then people who are very vulnerable meet a teacher who's very charismatic and they think this person must be enlightened and they become a student of this person and then it turns out the person is not. The person is on a power trip. We've seen this over and over and over again. So I'm very critical of that. So um, uh, another way I've characterized this U-turn is the hijacking by the ego. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The ego hijacks. So this spiritual but not religious is a temporary unstable equilibrium for many people 
it's it's vulnerable because you're sort of improvising. You are trying to please everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, one day you are here, you're like them. Another day you are there, you're with somebody like somebody else, right. and you're playing this game. It's a lot of duplicity, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so it's a kind of a uh, it's self hypoc it's hypocrisy in a sense. And and the ego, as you know, the ego loves to masquerade as God. Yes. Right. The ego loves to trick us into thinking that it's the true voice. Right. So the ego then, which has never been properly dealt with. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the person hasn't really gone deep enough mm -hmm. to deal with it. Mm -hmm. it. It looks for an opportunity yes, and it always, pops back always. either with greed or some, mm -hmm. some temptation mm -hmm. or something and it hijacks. Always. So that's when the U-turn happens. Yes, definitely. So that's my uh, study area of study when mm -hmm. I'm looking mm -hmm. at cross cultures uh -huh, and uh -huh, what's happening to uh -huh. the whole uh, Hindu kind of thing in the United States. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at this mm -hmm. syndrome. Mm -hmm. To me, this U-turn is a syndrome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. When a whole lot of people U-turn, they go into a foreign, alien, exotic space, mm -hmm. understand interesting things, bring it back, mm -hmm. and then they have some goodies to sell mm -hmm. to their home right. market. Right. Right? That, hey, I got this, you know. Right. It's like Indiana Jones kind of, you know, right. comes yes, back and yes, says, yes, look yes. where I've been. Yes. I've been into this frontier. Yes. By the way, it's very dangerous. You shouldn't go there. But I know how to, how to negotiate right, that. Right, yes. I know how to do all these things. I understand these guys. And I've brought, brought back some fascinating things I can teach you. So he kind of becomes intermediary. Mm -hmm. And then eventually he becomes kind of a guru mm -hmm. himself. Mm -hmm. This kind of a, that's mm -hmm. the ego's journey. Mm -hmm. Now, the result of recontextualizing all this knowledge into the home culture, mm -hmm. so into back into Judeo-Christianity mm -hmm, or mm -hmm, back into mm -hmm. Western thought, mm -hmm. is helping him market it more mm -hmm. because he's making it more palatable. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. So you seen, must have seen hundreds of people like that. Oh, yes. You must have. You, oh, must, yeah. you are a gold mine of yes. information yeah. for my research <laughs> yeah. because you know those guys. Okay. So what happens is what I call digestion. Mm -hmm. Over a period of time, that alien culture gets digested. It, it's it's gone mm -hmm. because it what was useful becomes right. part of the yes. powerful culture. Yes, yes, yes. So this is what happened to pagans. Yes, yes, yes. Right. Yes, yes. So the whole uh, worship of goddess. Yes. Uh, the whole this Christmas tree, Easter yes. symbolism. So what was what would fit the Judeo-Christianity Nicene Creed, mm -hmm. the, the Christian Nicene Creed, mm -hmm. I should say. Mm -hmm. Uh, and what would fit the key tenets of Judaism, mm -hmm. those things that would fit were brought in and digested mm -hmm. and made a part of the Christianity and the mm -hmm. Judaism, mm -hmm. making them more powerful. Yes. And what wouldn't fit is just crap and allowed to waste, yes. allowed to atrophy. Yes. So the pagans were, uh, you know, kind of abused and pagans are finished off, mm -hmm. but a lot of their good things are brought into mm -hmm. Western civilization. Yes. So now when we say Western civilization, mm -hmm. we praise Plato. Yes. and Socrates, yes. but they were pagans. Yes. So what happened to their religion? Yes. We don't talk about it. Right. We want to talk about their rationality mm -hmm. and their art, mm -hmm. taken out of the context mm -hmm. of their spiritual, mm -hmm. their religious ideology. Yes. So if digestion continues mm -hmm. with Hinduism, mm -hmm. one day we'll have Diwali as some kind of uh, Christian festival of lights right. that Jesus always talked about light right. over darkness. The actual meaning and story mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. uh, is gone. Yes. So similarly, now they are Christianizing the Hindu dance, the Bharatanatyam dance. Right. These are stories of various kinds. Right. Yes. So they're Christianizing yoga into Christian yoga. Yes. So I call that digestion. Yes. And I, I, I relate it. I, I, I think the analogy is like, you know, a predator tiger eats up a deer or a goat and that predator is gone. Right. What the tiger could use is part of the tiger. Right. What he couldn't use is a pile, part of waste. Right. Pile of the pile of waste material. Right. So that's what happens to a digested culture. Right. So there is something wrong about it mm -hmm. because you know we we believe in diversity of mm -hmm. uh, uh, flowers and trees and mm -hmm. fruits and all of that and we believe in the the ecosystem having diversity right. of animals. Right. What about cultures? And right. what about faiths? What about deities? Right. What about languages? Right. Why, why, why do we want to digest them and produce a monoculture? Right. So don't you feel that some of the trend, I mean, you, you have resisted it, but you are in the midst of you watching this all the time. Mm -hmm. Left to itself over in a long term basis, the whole, what I'm calling Hindu culture would get digested. Right. So only what fits into the Christianity or Judaism would survive. Right. And what doesn't fit, the poison pills have to be taken out and thrown away. Right. Do you see what I point? I see exactly what you're saying. You know, I'm thinking about 
because we live in a dominator cu culture. We live in a culture where the dominating culture has to devour everything. So assimilation should not be homogenization. Assimilation should be distinct cultural, religious, etc. groups living in harmony with each mutual other. Mutual respect. Exactly. Mutual respect. Mutual respect. Not just tolerance. Right. Mutual because tolerance respect, yeah. is sort of like a very patronizing thing. Yes. I tolerate you. Yes. What an insult. Right. I mean, I don't want to be right. tolerated. Yeah. Because Even more than mutual respect, mutual embrace. And mutual, mutual celebration. Yeah. And, but instead, that's not what assimilation is. Assimilation becomes a devouring... It's, it's, it's digestion. Yeah, right, right. What they're calling right. assimilation right. is actually digestion. Right, right. And right, you know, right. one of the right. forces of digestion is what I call domestication. Mm -hmm. right. Domestication means that now you're not going to be dangerous right. because you're domesticated. Right. You can live in my house, right. so you're now a domesticated right. thing. Right. Like you domesticate right. a horse or something, right. something right. like that. Right. So is Kali being domesticated? And you should avoid that. Right. Well... Maybe that's why the iconography of Kali is so helpful because everyone is afraid of Kali. There. Yeah, that's yeah. why it's there. It's very protective. Yes, it, it, yeah. it, that, it, it yeah. protects yeah, it. You, yeah, you cannot domesticate yeah. this Kali. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's why they hate yeah. Kali. Yeah, because she's not domesticated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love her. <laughs> do you do you see the point? Yes. No. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So now, 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 I want to talk about Mother Mary. Okay. Mother Mary is an attempt mm -hmm. by a lot of, uh, in the sixties. A lot of Western women, Christian women, mm -hmm. they discovered that okay, in Christianity there's no feminine. Mm -hmm. So they went to discover goddess and so on. Mm -hmm. While you have stayed the course, mm -hmm. many felt that the pressure of returning back mm -hmm. was too strong. Mm -hmm. So a whole lot of books were written by academic people mm -hmm. that Mary is really goddess mm -hmm. and Mary can substitute for Kali and mm -hmm. Durga and all of mm -hmm. that. And of course, it started a big uh, combat mm -hmm. with the male-dominated church doctrine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, so if they said that you are bringing back this paganism in the name of Mary, mm -hmm. and that's exactly what about the pagans we rejected, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you're bringing back all this uh, deity stuff mm -hmm. and all this idol idolatry mm -hmm. stuff mm -hmm. and the feminine stuff. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what we kicked out. Mm -hmm. That's why we didn't uh, we, we we digested the pagans. Mm -hmm and domesticated what we mm -hmm, could mm -hmm. and killed off what we couldn't. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this business of Mary as goddess mm -hmm. has not really worked. Mm -hmm. And so, but it has misled a lot of people who were following Kali mm -hmm. into thinking that we don't need to follow her anymore. Right. So what do you think of that? What do you think of the whole Mary as Devi syndrome, which has been used as a way to digest yeah, I can't say much about it because I don't really know much about it. Um, but what you're describing sounds to me very problematic, I think. And it goes back to what you are saying before about the, the digestion. Uh, it's like Mary is Mary. Mary is not Kali. And Mary is a very important figure in Christianity. But what Mary embodies is not what Kali embodies. Yeah, she has a particular ro defined role in the history yeah. and a particular relationship. Very, very and that, different. And that would, yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, people, a lot of uh, Christian women have made a big deal of uh, using Mary as sort of a safe haven mm -hmm. to bring back a lot of Hindu ideas and yet put it in the facade of Christianity. Right, I, I don't even know about this, but... Yeah, yeah. yeah it yeah. sounds... So, so uh, it seems that while you are not a Hindu, mm -hmm. okay, but from a Hindu point of view, and mm -hmm. I want to talk to my Hindu viewers now, mm -hmm. a lot of people ask me, what's wrong if some people adopt Hindu ideas without calling it Hindu? And I've always said that there's nothing wrong for a very advanced person who's anchored and rooted in the principles and the ingredients of Dharma without calling it that provided they withstand all attempts to digest, all attempts to distort, all attempts to domesticate, provided they are very strong and consistent about it, which is very rare. And therefore, for a beginner, it's not a good idea. For, uh, for, to teach it to the masses, it's not a good idea because it will result in, in dilutions, distortions, digestions, and it will result in our civilization getting digested eventually. So it's not, as a marketing strategy, I do not accept it. However, if there is a person through whatever life journey they've had 
who is very, very solidly anchored in, in Kali, for instance, or a particular deity, and, and says, I don't have a religious name for this, this is my practice, I think that's wonderful. I would go a step further and say, someone like Susan can be a Trojan horse for mm -hmm. us. <laughs> in fact, you are. Mm -hmm. So, if you know somebody who is that solid for that long, yes, we can utilize them. People often say, why can't we utilize uh, the, the, the Christian attempt to make everything same and appropriate our symbols, why can't we utilize and infiltrate them? To do that, you need very extraordinary people. You need people who really know the whole game mm -hmm. and who are not going to give up. And that happens only if inside you are rooted in your own, own practice of Kali, as in her case, or some other deity. That, that has to be very strongly rooted. And you, have, you are conscious that, you are, that this is a poison pill and mm -hmm. you have to be careful. Mm -hmm. You are conscious that uh, it's not like uh, this is just some generic energy I can replace with somebody else. Mm -hmm. It's particularly Kali. Mm -hmm. That Kali specificity mm -hmm. is strong in you. Mm -hmm. yeah? mm -hmm. So when that specificity is very strong mm -hmm. for a particular deity, mm -hmm. you are a walking, talking poison pill mm -hmm. in a sense. Definitely. And, and the more people attract uh, towards you, the more people embrace, read your you know, books and uh, your, listen to your mm -hmm. videos and mm -hmm. uh, your tapes, uh, the more are attracted towards this whole idea, this mm -hmm. whole worldview. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, they are being digested, mm -hmm. in a sense. Mm -hmm. in, a, in a sense, the Kali can be so strong mm -hmm. that Christians could be digested into this idea mm -hmm. and stop being Christian, but then they cannot be Christians anymore. Right. Do you see the point? Sure. Yeah. So you, cannot, you really cannot be in a halfway house. Right. In this, right. you agree with that? Yes, 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 yeah. yeah. So you see why in this, uh, uh, you know, spectrum of interviews I'm doing, mm -hmm. uh, you occupy a specific place. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah? yeah. Uh, you occupy a specific place as somebody who is not Indian and Hindu by birth, mm -hmm. who is exceedingly, not, there's non-negotiable mm -hmm. uh, practice of mm -hmm. Kali particularly, mm -hmm. And it's very public, mm -hmm. and you're, it's not like in front of people you're mm -hmm. embarrassed. Mm -hmm. you're, you're talking about it, it's on your blog mm -hmm. everywhere. Mm -hmm. You face whatever you, it come, mm -hmm. that comes with it, mm -hmm. but this is not going to change. Mm -hmm. And so this kind of a person, is only a very small percent of the Westerners who went into the New Age and mm -hmm. into the yoga and, mm -hmm. me, and meditation and mm -hmm. Hindu spirituality, very tiny percent survived all the, all the backlash. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, and remain this course. Mm -hmm. That's my yes. My experience. Yes, 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 yes. Definitely, my experience too. Yeah, yeah. So I want to now discuss. You are politically active. Mm -hmm. On your website, mm -hmm. you are lobbying on the healthcare mm -hmm. reform mm -hmm. and the matters about Donald Trump mm -hmm. and so on. Mm -hmm. So you are not a spiritual person who has disconnected and disengaged from outer life. Mm -mm. You bring that spirituality to your outer life. Mm -hmm. So tell us about it. How sure. does Kali work in that context? Well, again, I think because to me, Kali is truth. And because we're in such a time of not truth, it's very important to be a strong voice for truth and sanity and wisdom in the world right now. After the election, before the election of Donald Trump, I was set to be on tour in California in the spring, and I was also set to be touring in upstate New York when I returned from California. And after the election, I realized I can't do this anymore. I have got to withdraw from touring on the yoga circuit, and I need to reclaim all the time that that, that takes to devote myself to political work and to writing. And so that's what I'm doing now. And it's, what can I say? I just think it's essential at the planet. So here's my, mm -hmm. uh, the point I'm leading to. Uh, in India, mm -hmm. there is a large scale global attack mm -hmm. on things I call Hindu that mm -hmm. you call Kali worship mm -hmm. and your dharma. Well, I still call it karma, uh, Hindu, yeah. Yeah. So there's a huge attack. Uh -huh. There is what I call Hindu phobia in the media, uh -huh. Indian media. In India? India, uh -huh. Indian media. It's, back, it's exported from the West. Mm -hmm. So this, this tendency, all these attacks against the, the, what we've been talking about have now been exported to India. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of Indian 
kind of maladjusted people, confused people, but up for grabs, mm -hmm. opportunistic people mm -hmm. have been employed. Mm -hmm. And they are now the dominant voice in the media. Mm -hmm. So Indian media is Hindu-phobic. The mainstream old media, social media is different, but the old mainstream media is actually anti-Hindu. Mm -hmm. It's very strange. Mm -hmm. Cow slaughter. Mm -hmm. India is the second largest exporter of beef in the world. Really? Yes. Huh. I had no idea. And there is a whole cow slaughter movement where they just go buy cows and slaughter them. Yeah. Just a short while ago in Kerala, they, this group, these kind of people, and they're politically very powerful. They're economically funded from the West. A lot of Christian missionaries behind it. Yeah. So a uh, lot of human rights groups uh, uh, championing cow slaughter in the name of providing nutrition when the West itself is saying red meat is not good for you. Hmm. So we, in the West, it's red meat is not good for you. People are being asked to become vegetarian mm -hmm. and vegan and so on. Mm -hmm. But all the bad habits are being exported mm -hmm. to destroy those cultures. Mm -hmm. So that is also part of this whole digestion. You start destroying the source. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the cow slaughter has reached such a shameful uh, you know, climax that just a few days ago in Kerala, there was a public procession carrying the head of a calf, mm. holding it and carrying it to sort of, to sort of instigate uh, problems, right. to just make people, the Hindu people feel bad. Mm. And then in IIT Madras, one of the prestigious institutions, they had a beef eating fest, a beef eating, uh, you know, binge eating beef mm. publicly to just to sort of, they went to a Jain uh, cafeteria where they serve really sattvic vegetarian mm. food and they wanted to go and eat this stuff there mm. to provoke. Mm. And then claim that these guys have been attacking us and we were exercising our right by eating beef. Mm. Now Sorry. this to me requires your attention. Mm -hmm. You are, you are, and, and, and since you're active politically in this country, there's no geographical borders nowadays. Right. The, there is a dharma versus a dharma right. happening globally. There is a kurukshetra. It is not just in the Bhagavad Gita, one particular territory. Kurukshetra right. is the world. Right. Globalization is the Kurukshetra. Right. Yeah. So we have all these forces fighting. Mm -hmm. So people like you need to join us. Mm -hmm. You need to join us. Mm -hmm. Because the people who are Hindu-phobic and who are, who are into this, uh, cattle, this cow killing and murdering business and many other things like that are a global nexus. It's not just some local people. The, the, it's global powers that are united in bringing about this sort of a shift. Mm -hmm. Because India is the last place where these things are still available. Mm -hmm. These things are happening. The deities are there. The sacred geography is there. The mantra is there. And they would like to finish it off. Yeah. Because then they can, they've really finished off the whole threat. Right. They've domesticated the, all the potentials that they need out of the yoga. They'll have domesticated them, digested them, and removed all the threats. Right. So what I'm saying is that a cause for you and many others like you would be to internationalize your engagement mm -hmm. and to and to mobilize Westerners who really care about the Dharma and who really are interested in the true authentic yoga and so on mm -hmm. to go and get involved in that. Mm -hmm. And you can play an important role because uh, firstly, it, in, people in India should not know that all Westerners are against their culture. Mm -hmm. They shouldn't know that. Mm -hmm. They should know that some people are against their cultures, but some people are for their culture. Mm -hmm. And they should see the other side. Mm -hmm. Secondly, you can counter some of the Western people mm -hmm. by, by having a credibility, a voice that says it's not like that. Mm -hmm. What this guy is saying, mm -hmm. what this guy is preaching you to go and kill all the cattle and eat beef because mm -hmm. it's good for your health is not true. Mm -hmm. Because in the United States, we know it's not true. Mm -hmm. So what he's telling you is not even practiced mm -hmm. in the United States. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think this, uh, the hypocrisy of the Western nexus in their attack, assault on Indian civilization is so deep. Mm -hmm. uh, with the new regime, I'm afraid it may get worse. Yeah. That some of these evangelist types will get a boost. Yes. Yeah. It'd go back to the face-based initiative of the, Robe, uh, the Reagan yes. and Bush era, yes, where yes. the government is actually funding these people. Yes. And they're working hand in glove with the CIA and doing yes. all kinds of things. Yes. So this is a new frontier mm -hmm. for dharmic activists. Mm -hmm. What do you think of that? No, I think it's great. I think, you know, what you're describing, the, the, the cow slaughter, it reminds me of the Nazis burning the books of the Jews during World War II. It's horrible. And 
I'm stunned to hear this. I had no idea this was going on. I think for me, as a person of Jewish heritage, the whole situation here with Trump and refugees and immigrants has been very disturbing to me. I always, when I was a kid growing up, I wondered what would it have been for me if I, if I was living in Europe during the Holocaust? What would have happened to me and my family? Would anyone have been there to help me? And I've actually, locally, I'm now involved with a group that's working to help undocumented people here in the Princeton area because I believe so strongly in but that. I'm, so I'm this is, but yeah, you're saying bring it into a global, and I think it's true. Well, I'm saying that particularly since you are practicing mm-hmm. a certain lifestyle mm-hmm. and there, are, there is a sacredness mm-hmm. associated mm-hmm. with things that are being abused. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hindu deities are being abused in India. Yeah, it's terrible. The Hanuman, the Ganesh. There are so many movements in India uh-huh. with NGOs backing that. Mm-hmm. And these NGOs are for the most part funded from foreign places. Mm-hmm in the name of progress, science, mm-hmm. human rights, all this BS, mm-hmm. they are actually destroying the Indian civilization. Mm-hmm. So my plea to you is this. Mm-hmm. You are harvesting the fruits of the civilization. Mm-hmm. You should nurture the roots. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that? Yes, definitely. So we need to talk. Mm-hmm. And you need to bring people together that I can have a discussion with mm-hmm. and tell them what's going on and why mm-hmm. we need their help. Mm-hmm. We don't need their money. Mm-hmm. We can, I mean, the money can be organized later, mm-hmm. but we need their intellect and we need their heart mm-hmm. and we need their voice. Mm-hmm. They need to be part of this. They need to go and counter this kind of a propaganda, which mm-hmm. is hitting India in a very terrible way. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. So you agree with that? Yes. Okay. So with that, I, I, I see, this is what, how I would say to my Hindu followers, when you meet somebody who says, I'm respectful, I'm not abusing, I'm actually liking your tradition and I'm good for your tradition, look what I'm doing, you should move them through these stages. First, talk about you know, the non-translatability of the mantra, talk about the Devi, the Shakti, talk about the deities, talk about all these things, talk about the sacred geography one by one and see if they come on board. When they come on board, then you make the point that, okay, whether you call yourself a Hindu or not, in practice, in terms of the essence of what you are doing, you are. And then you can say, okay, then you discuss how this is a poison pill for Judeo-Christianity, which it is. And you have to reason very systematically. Once you know, once the person is sure, and this will happen with very few people like Susan Green, who have been in it for decades, it will rattle and shake up most people. Mm-hmm. Most people, when I, if they were to go through this kind of a conversation with me, somewhere, partway through it, they'll want to jump off the wagon and they'll say, <laughs> I, I, I'm not going anywhere. You agree with that? <laughs> a lot of people will do that. If they go all the way, then you should say, okay, now we need your help. Well, now we need you as part of our home team to counter all the stuff, all the Hindu phobia that's going on. So that's the uh, sequence I have followed to illustrate uh, with the help of a person that I have known for a long time. Uh, but I think there's many more, many more people like you that we have to identify. Yeah, I mean, what you're describing now sounds similar to what happened when the Chinese invaded Tibet yes. and they destroyed all the Tibetan monasteries, right? Right. right. And there was a huge movement. I right. was young, but I remember there was a huge movement to help get the people out and get all the artifacts out and get all the art out and preserve it. Right. It sounds like that's similar to what you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, but in about. India we don't want that uh, we, that uh, we abandon India and get all the art out. Well, no, obviously. Uh, what we want to do is counter, it. Yeah, we want to counter it, it yeah, there. Yeah. I mean, the, the deities and the sacred geography mm-hmm. and the mantras and mm-hmm. the sacred books and mm-hmm. texts and all that need to be protected and preserved. Mm-hmm. So what we need to do is take the battle head on in the Kurukshetra itself. Right. So this sounds like the same dark money that's doing all kinds of very devious things yes. all over the planet is also doing this in India. Yes. So the, the amount of, it's billions of dollars of foreign funded right. uh, money that comes through various pretexts. That, mm-hmm. You know, when you see an ad that says feed a child mm-hmm. and there's some church, mm-hmm. don't just take it at face value. Mm-hmm. It's got all kinds of, they're, they're very good at appealing to your heart right. and just guilt to get your money right. for a cause. Right. But I've tracked this. I wrote a book called Breaking India mm-hmm. many years ago mm-hmm. where I tracked a whole lot of money trails from mm-hmm. the U.S. Mm-hmm. and they don't end up doing good things in India. Mm-hmm. And so some of the organizations are Christian right 
organizations. Mm-hmm. Some of them claim to be human rights, but they're mm-hmm. really not doing human rights. They're mm-hmm. violating the human rights. Right. Uh, some of them claim to be animal rights, but then what are animal rights doing about cow slaughter? Right. You see? So, the, uh, the, so this, is all, this is a very dangerous thing going on. Right. And the Trump administration is filled with these people. Well, this is the, the, the sad part is before the Trump administration, the Democrats were not helping our case. No. The they were they were not yeah. helping our case. No, they've been uh, they, they they at best you could say they stopped the government funding of Christian evangelism mm-hmm. in India, mm-hmm. but they did nothing to stop them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they continued uh, they continued this sort of thing under the garb of human rights. Mm-hmm. They did not do it explicitly as evangelism, but they mm-hmm. did it in the garb of human rights. Mm-hmm. But really, when you think about it, the Western idea of human rights often is devastating to a local culture. Mm-hmm. Because let's say the... No, the, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And you know, it's a shame that the West is adopting vegetarianism mm-hmm. and uh, these sort of things, and yet, accuse, yet going there and preaching just the opposite. Mm-hmm. So one hand doesn't know what the other is doing. Mm-hmm. The people who are sucking in this knowledge and assimilating this, digesting it, are disconnected. Like, you are not aware that there are other parts of the United States Mm -hmm. that are very hostile Mm -hmm. and involved in this way. Mm -hmm. So my purpose in uh, interviewing you is also to make you more aware Mm -hmm. that this is going on and Mm -hmm. we need your help. Mm -hmm. So you're going to help us. Yes. So, so, uh, uh, Susan, one more thing I want to do before we close. I want to give you some of my books. Okay. And these books will explain some of the things I'm working on. Mm-hmm. The Battle for Sanskrit mm-hmm. is important to you because a whole, this criticizes people in Columbia University and mm-hmm. Ivy Leagues mm-hmm. whose idea of Sanskrit mm-hmm. is to completely strip it of the mantra and mm-hmm. the vibrations and the sound quality mm-hmm. and to see it as a political language. Really? A political language that is exploiting people mm-hmm. because this whole superstition is bad for people. Mm-hmm. So that's one of my books. Then there is this Academic Hindu phobia. Mm-hmm. This is academics who are Hindu phobic mm-hmm. in the United States, mm-hmm. and many of them originally started out in the sixties or seventies mm-hmm. doing uh, you know similar things to you, mm-hmm. but they U-turned. Right. They U-turn and they become very viciously against. Really. They become because you know maybe they reclaim their old culture, their mm-hmm. old heritage, their mm-hmm. old identity, mm-hmm. and this is scary to them. Mm-hmm. Maybe they've gotten some different ideology, some Marxist ideology, mm-hmm. and religion is no good, so mm-hmm. this is their problem. So I study some of the. Uh, some of the uh, these leaders in this book. Mm-hmm. And then here is a book called Being Different. Mm-hmm. Being Different is a book in which I, uh, I take a Hindu, Indian, Dharmic lens mm-hmm. to look at Western culture. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually talking about these very things. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking about the uh, history obsession mm-hmm. of Judeo-Christianity. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then I'm using the deity, the dharma, mm-hmm. the, the, the shakti mm-hmm. as counters to that. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about the non-translatability. So mm-hmm. all, th- all sorts of things which the Western system would consider poison pills, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but we would consider them to be non-negotiable. Right. I'm showing the contrast right. between the two. Wow. So that's this book. Okay. And then here is a book uh, uh, called Indra's Net. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people say that Hinduism is just a mishmash. Mm-hmm. So you've got Bhagavad Gita here and mm-hmm. you've got Kali there mm-hmm. and you've got something there and there's mm-hmm. no connection mm-hmm. and it's just an amalgam. Mm-hmm. So, and also over time there's discontinuity. Mm-hmm. Well, this book shows not only historical continuity of these key principles, mm-hmm. but how they're interrelated mm-hmm. and inseparable. Um, that's wonderful. So that's a philosophical unity of the, of the tradition. That's great. So these, these are for you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. And let me give you some CDs. Okay. So these are the first two volumes of a larger musical um, pr- project that I call the Mantra Project. The Mantra Project, yes. Volume One. So Volume One, Daughter of the Mountain. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah, yours. And, yeah, these are these are both mine. And Volume Two is all Mantras of the Sun. So the first album has. This is Surya. This is Surya Namaskar. Yeah, Surya Namaskar Mantras. Mantras. Okay, good. And this has Mahamrita Jaya. It has Gayatri. Um, it has Devi mantras. It has a beautiful Ganesha mantra. And so it's all mantric-inspired music. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. This is wonderful. Yes, enjoy. Well, thank you very much. And with that, I'll say namaste. Namaste to you. Namaste. And we'll continue this conversation. So you organize something where I can come and have a little discussion with Sounds other good. like-minded people. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
to help me you can do two things you can go to the subscribe button on my youtube and subscribe we need more subscribers there uh, secondly i get lots of emails on people saying how do we donate how can we help you uh, you go to rajimalhotra.com or you go to infinityfoundation.com and you can hit the donate button you can donate in dollars there are different ways mentioned if you want to donate in rupees there is a column called uh, infinity foundation india and you click that and there are instructions on how you can donate in india